Our second reading is from the book of Acts, chapter 20. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus, and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account of my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. The word of the Lord. As the kids are heading out, I'm gonna take a moment to introduce you to our preacher today. Uh, Richard Crocker is an ordained minister uh, from longer than I was because he was a part of the ordination process for me. You actually were one of those who sat in on the, um, on the discernment for me being able to go forward with ordination. But Richard and Carolyn have four kids. They uh, are, have recently come from Newport Beach, California area where you were the rector, um, the lead pastor of St. James Anglican. Mm -hmm. But you loved the DC area so much <laughs> that you decided Orange County was not worth staying there. But you had also spent um, 10 years at Truro Church. Mm -hmm. um, and before that, um, I actually don't know all the details of where you're from originally, but um, other than that Richard is, is from one of uh, the breakaway countries away from America. Um, you'll notice it as he's speaking. Um, <laughs> 
And, uh, but it's a great opportunity to have Richard share with us this morning. Then later on, we're going to hear about the uh, EFAC, the Evangelical Fellowship of the Anglican Communion that he just became general secretary of. So it's a great opportunity for us to hear about what else is going on globally within Anglicanism and what Richard and Carolyn mm. are up to. So let me pray for you before I, mm. we, uh, you share the word with us. Father God, we thank you for the calling that you've placed on each of us. And this morning, you have brought us to hear God's word and anointed mm. Richard to speak to us. So speak through him and open our hearts to receive your word and to strengthen us by your spirit, in whose name we pray, amen. Amen. Good morning. It's good to be here. Can you hear me? Even at the back. Good. It's a great joy to be here and to have the privilege of speaking with you, and I stand under the prayer that Johnny has just prayed, so... I just want to remind you that last week you were in Acts chapter 16. Today we're going to be at the end of Acts chapter 20, so I thought I should just go over what we're skipping in chapter 17, 18, 19, and most of 20. We are actually missing the introduction to key people like Apollos, Aquila, and Priscilla, we're missing key incidents like the group of disciples Paul found that had never heard of the Holy Spirit. And we are missing the terrible warning concerning the young man who fell asleep in one of Paul's sermons. <laughs> to be fair, it did go on all night. Reminds me of the man who came late to church, it was during the sermon, and he asked the man next to him, how long has the pastor been preaching? And the answer was, oh, I think about 30 years. <laughs> he said, I'll stay then, he must be finished soon. But I do need to mention three key cities that we are going to hear about, and so You'll see there the key cities of, that Paul visited where he preached and started Christian churches. Uh, we'll, we're passing over his time in Athens, the great intellectual center, the place of Plato and Aristotle, the Epicureans, the Stoics. We're passing over his time in Corinth, that great commercial center, but also the religious center where the temple of Aphrodite or Venus was centered. They were a very wealthy crowd, but extremely vulgar, sexual, debauched. In fact, around the Roman Empire, to be Corinthianized had a certain meaning. And then we're hearing his farewell address to the the elders at Ephesus, that great religious center. It was also a commercial center, but it was a religious center because it was where the temple of Diana was located, and also it was one of the great centers of the imperial cult, the Roman places where they went to worship literally the emperor. So they were wealthy, uh, but our reading of Ephesus tells us that they were also indulged in magic, in superstition, and in the occult. So these cities represent the citadels of pride and idolatry. Pride of the mind in the philosophy of Athens. Pride of the body in sexuality, fertility, and the love of money in Corinth. Incidentally, Corinth just reminds us 
Isn't it true? Every generation thinks they discovered sex. But actually, it's been around forever. And we just have regulations on how to tackle it. And then the final idolatry is the idolatry of the spirit, as represented by the occult, the superstitious, the spiritual found in Ephesus. All idolatries are addressed by the gospel to bring the creator and redeemer into a coherent relationship with his people. So how did Paul address, what was his strategy for tackling these idolatries? And so we find in this place, a strategic places, Paul went to those key places. Everywhere where he went, he started with the synagogue, He would start to preach to Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles and explain Jesus as the Messiah until he was opposed. It's fascinating. A Jews for Jesus speaker said, today, Jews for Jesus is controversial. In those days, Jews for Jesus was what there was. Gentiles for Jesus was controversial in those days. But Paul brought the gospel to the Gentiles. And so as he went to strategic places, um, he would go until he was opposed and then he would withdraw to public lectures, to private discussions. And the words we see described of Paul are that he reasoned, he explained, he proved, he proclaimed, he persuaded. All these are words that honor his audience but remind us that he had a specific message of Jesus and the resurrection to get across. In each place he was opposed. In in Athens he was mocked and ridiculed. In Corinth he was attacked. In In Ephesus they had a riot because of the impact of his teaching. But he did stay a long time. He had a lengthy ministry in Corinth and Ephesus. We tend to think of Paul as short-term, someone who would preach, then he'd be run out of town, and then he'd just try and keep up with letters. But we read that he was in Corinth two years, he was in Ephesus three years, a substantial investment to build up the church. And so, those are the several years and several cities of travel that we've skipped to get to this address to the elders of Ephesus. So all that was introduction to my first point, which is in this address we find the example of Paul, the leader. He says, you know, you know, you observed, you saw what I was like. You yourselves know how I lived among you. We learn about his character, his person, his humility, the tears he shared with his people, the trials, the riot that they went through. We learn about his practice to teach everywhere, in public, in homes, with crowds, with individuals. And we learn about his message. He reminds them that it is of repentance toward God and faith in Jesus. We get his concerns for all people that they find the truth that is Jesus. This is what he was like. This is the example of Paul, the leader. 
And the next thing we find out is that Paul had an expectation for leaders. He says, I'm going to Jerusalem and everywhere I know that, I don't know what's going to happen to me except that afflictions await me. This was particularly poignant because Carolyn and I are going to Jerusalem this week and we don't expect the afflictions that Paul was expecting. In fact, we're going for a big conference. You'll hear about that in a, in a moment. But Paul in this passage of expectation is describing the paradox of ministry. You see, anyone who has any authority or responsibility for ministry with God will know on the one hand, difficulties, trials, afflictions, there are little thanks, and brothers and sisters, sheep can bite. Did you know that? But on the other hand, there is joy and fulfillment in spreading the gospel of grace. You see, the message we have, the message that Paul has, is not just try harder, do better, be good. That is the trap of the performance achievement mindset. That is the world that you and I live in, in the world of school and work. Everything we do is assessed and judged. We have to perform and we have to perform better. And it's tempting to think in those terms when we come to the church. But that mindset is of the devil. It breeds self-righteousness. It leads to despair. It contains within it and is going to contain within it the condemnation that comes from the evil one. No. The gospel of grace says acknowledge, repent of your sin, trust in Jesus, rely on God, and you are in the arena of mercy and grace. Mercy is you do not get what you do deserve. And grace is that you do get what you don't deserve. And I hope you know that wonderful little mnemonic for grace. G-R-A-C-E. Which stands for God's riches at Christ's expense. That's what we celebrate every time when we come to worship. That's what we celebrate every time when we gather around the table. As we testify to the gospel of the grace of God, we're being brought time after time to the foot of the cross. We're brought time after time to the forgiveness that we don't deserve. And we're brought time after time to God's righteousness, to His joy, his peace, which becomes a true motivation for living and service in the way of the cross. That's what Paul is saying is the expectation for leaders, indeed for all of us, that we would testify to that and declare in that the whole counsel of God. And so after the example of Paul, the expectation of Paul here are the exhortations of Paul to leaders. First of all, the church is to be guided. 
Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Paul's exhortation and encouragement, I want to say, applies to leaders at any level. If you're leaders in the church, if you're leaders of a ministry, if you're leaders of a small group, if you're leaders of a family, watch yourselves, he's saying. Keep close to God. Take care to teach what is right. Don't stray after money, sex, or power. The flock is valuable. It costs the blood of Christ. So take care. And just as the shepherd does, watch for strays, for those who wander off. Visit, call, encourage. It's not just for those of us that have the funny collars. It's for all of us as the church of God to care, to lead as we're able in the church of God. So the second part of Paul's exhortation to leaders is that the church is to be guarded. Hear these ominous warnings. I know that after my departure, Paul says, fierce wolves will come in among you, and even from your own selves, people will arise speaking twisted things. The church will face opposition and trial, Paul expects, and he exhorts the leader to be ready for it. Opposition and trial from the outside, so warn and be alert. What about those fierce wolves of today? I'm not talking only about the secularists, the Mormons, the Muslims, but all those who seem so spiritual, but will still be teaching about maybe our subjection to generation curses, false views of the demonic, extreme approaches to the work of the Holy Spirit, or this is the way you do healing ministry, this is the way you must do it. No, the exhortation of Paul is that the church is to be guarded. And in our own 39 articles, we read in the next slide... It is not lawful for the church to ordain anything that is contrary to God's Word written, neither may it so expound one place of Scripture that it be repugnant to another. You see, so often the errors and the problems that arise is because we've got one part of the Word, but we've missed this part, and they need to be interpreted together. So it is that our Anglican struggles are based around how we take in the whole Word of God. But also with the prosperity gospel, the people who say, name it, claim it on your TV if you watch those, which I hope you don't. You'll find people with extreme views on Israel and also there's people who are subject to the regular temptations of love of money and power. The exhortation of Paul to leaders is that the church is to be guarded. And it's interesting, I often wonder, how did the church get on after Paul left? What was it like in the next generation? And we actually have an interesting review from the, church, from the book of Revelation. The Holy Spirit reveals the Lord's review in the church in Ephesus. 
Here we have a review. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. They get a good comment about their watch on false teachers. You'll have to read the rest of that comment to find out where they did come up a little bit short elsewhere. And then the third part of Paul's exhortation to leaders is this. The church is to be generous. Paul started in ministry in Corinth. He was a worker. He worked as a tent maker. Maybe we'd say that was a leather worker today. But then the churches in Macedonia gave him a gift and enabled him to teach full-time so that Paul was prepared to work hard, but also his service was recognized as valuable and worth supporting. So he could say, I coveted no one's silver or gold. These hands ministered to my necessities. In all things I have shown you by working hard, we must help the weak. And so the needy and weak of the church can be helped. And the outflow of the gospel of grace is generosity. This is the Christian discovery, if you like. While the world says our whole goal is to acquire, the Christian says, it is my call to be generous. It's the Christian discovery. As Paul says, the words of Jesus, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Incidentally, those of you who like New Testament study may be interested to know those words feature nowhere in the Gospels. They are the one example of the words of Jesus that are preserved outside the Gospel. You know, God has always had a plan for financing His work. In the Old Testament, the law of tithes supported the work of the temple and the priests and the ministry of the temple. In the New Testament, the law of tithes is gone. I know we like to talk about tithing, but it's not a law. But what is there is grace and generous gratitude. Well, there is Paul's example, there is his expectation, there is his exhortations. How do we work all that out for today? And I think I just want to say these brief things. First of all, leadership settings vary. As I've already mentioned, uh, these pointers to leadership are not just for those of us who are called ordained, you are a leader in the church ministry if you are involved with young people, children, a small group, a service project. Anywhere you have responsibility, and in particular and most especially in your family. If you lead in a family or you're going to be leading in a family, these guidances, these encouragements apply to you. The second thing is that evangelism styles vary. As Paul ministered in different settings, so may we. I'm glad, for example, that Matt Hemsley, who preached last week, is leading an alpha in the public setting of the mosaic. That is the kind of thing Paul would have done. 
but Paul would also have gone to homes. He would have got people to invite friends for a dinner and say, come and hear Paul and let's spark some discussion. We can do that today. I've been part of it. You get some friends, have a dinner, have a wonderful dinner, and bring a bishop or Johnny or someone and say, let's spark a discussion. Let's get people thinking about where God fits in their lives today. John Stott commented on our evangelism like this. Like this. <laughs> our contemporary evangelism is often shallow. It's too ecclesiastical. We think it's involved with inviting people to church. Now, don't get me wrong. Inviting people to church is a good thing. In fact, it's even a step above thinking ourselves of welcoming people to church. You know the difference between inviting and welcoming? Welcoming is a passive thing. They've come. We'll say, oh yeah, if you come, we'll welcome you. Inviting is saying, here you are, I'm going to bring you. Come to church with me. That's a good thing. But it's not the only thing. And so often, our appeal is too emotional. We think that we have to make an emotional appeal for decision without the, represent, the requisite understanding. And then finally, it's often too superficial. We make brief encounters and expect quick results without what Paul did of building relationships. You know, let me give you a clue to two evangelistic aids. Moms and dads, your young children are your evangelistic age because through young children, you meet other families. You meet other children. You can share things with them. And I want to tell you, the best evangelistic aid we have encountered in the last few years is our dog. Now, I, I, I could preach a long time about Clemmy, our dog. She's an English bulldog. She's as ugly as all get out. In fact, she's so ugly, she's beautiful. But everywhere we go, we take her for a walk around our block and we, everybody stops and says, what a beautiful dog, and can I pat her? And thankfully, she's quiet, she's very responsive, and we're getting to know our new neighbors as we go around the neighborhood. It was like that in California, it's like it here. Brothers and sisters, if you're stuck for how to make relationships with people, Get a dog. <laughs> it will help. Not a cat. It won't help. <laughs> and in all things, the Bible will be our guide and our support. I think I need to pray. Can I, bow? Can I pray for you and with you? Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this insight into the world and the character and the ministry of St. Paul. Heavenly Father, we know that we are not St. Paul, but we know that you know who we are. You know our opportunities and you know our capacity. So, Father, develop our capacity and help our opportunities 
to witness, to grow, to lead your church and your gospel of grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.